You're entering Outer Brightness. Welcome, Fireflies, to this episode of the Outer Brightness Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We will be talking about the gathering of Israel. What does that mean? How does that affect Latter-day Saints today? And how does that affect us as Christians? From your understanding, either as a Latter-day Saint studying in just church, in Sunday school, or maybe in your private study when you studied the history of the church, was it your understanding that Joseph Smith prophesied that the return of Christ was imminent, meaning it was coming very soon, you know, 1800 sometime, and that the literal gathering of Israel was to be quick? Or did you see this as, or understand him as teaching it as more of a long process, which is basically what the LDS church teaches now. So um, Michael and Brianna, do you have any thoughts on that? You want to go first? Yeah, I kind of saw it as like this long process that would kind of happen, um, that maybe there would be at some point where like, there would be like a, a moment, an event where, you know, like when the second coming happens, but it was unknown. So it was all just kind of a preparation, like a long-term process. Yeah. So it seemed like a lot of the prophecies that Joseph Smith did make that weren't directly related were really imminent. Uh, Like, I feel like he made a a prophecy that, you know, he would see Christ by the time he was a certain age. I don't remember what that age was, but, you know, fairly soon in the future. And the the gathering of Israel was supposed to happen before the, the coming of Christ. So it does seem like it was initially supposed to be imminent, but then like we've talked about as the decades roll on, you know, the church's position changes and and when the church's position changes, oh well Joseph Smith must have meant that it was going to be far in the future the entire time. So I kind of started to take that line that Joseph Smith was not intending this to be imminent, but some future date way out, way far away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there were at least two prophecies, right? There was the one that you mentioned, Michael, where it says if you reach the age of 60 or 70, you will see the Lord. Um, And a lot of LDS apologists will say, well, it was a conditional prophecy. You know, Joseph Smith died, so Jesus didn't return. And it's like, well, well, doesn't God know when Joseph Smith would die? (laughs) I don't know. Uh, Paul, what do you think about this? Yeah, uh, I I think Joseph Smith did believe that it was imminent. if not in his own lifetime, I think he believed it was uh, very soon. Um, one example of that is a statement he made in uh, February 1835, uh, where he said, uh, according to B.H. Uh, Roberts' uh, History of the Church, uh, quote, It was the will of God that those who went to Zion who went to Zion with a determination to lay down their lives, if necessary, should be ordained to the ministry and go forth to prune the vineyard for the last time or the coming of the Lord, which was nigh even 56 years should wind up the scene. So yeah, I I think it's clear. He believed that it was, uh, it was very soon from that statement and other, other prophecies that he recorded. Uh, Dr. Nicomedes 80 
seven, uh, which many take to be a prophecy of, of the civil war, um, which I don't think is too, uh, once I studied, uh, American history and how long that, uh, political, uh, issue was brewing. Uh, I don't, I don't see that prophecy as, as kind of remarkable, but he does kind of in, in DNC 87, it is kind of, uh, also, uh, kind of put forth as, as a precursor to the return of Jesus. You know, when, when he said 56 years, Paul, um, I'm pretty sure he was talking about Jupiter years and that's, that's a lot longer than our earth years. I, I mean, I, well, I mean, maybe collab years. So that's yeah. like, you know, that's like 56,000 years. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Better get started on that uh, food storage. You know, like oh, wait, 50, wait, wait, no, no. 55,900 something it's, years left. <laughs> I'm, I'm bad at math. That's way more than that. Cause one day is, is a thousand years on collab. So gosh, <laughs> it's, well, it's a long ways off. Like 5 million years. <laughs> yeah. You got, you got to get 5 million years worth of food storage guys. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the passage also um, that I was, I think I was referring to is DNC 130, 14 through 15, where he wrote, I was once praying very earnestly to know the time of the coming of the son of man. When I heard a voice repeat the following, Joseph, my son, if thou livest until thou art 85 years old, thou shalt see the face of the son of man. Therefore, let this suffice and trouble me no more on this matter. So that was given in, uh, let's see, 18... When was this? I forget. I forget what the year was. But if, if he was 85, right? So I'm going to get into some dispensational style uh, chronology, okay? I, got, I need a whiteboard, though. You know, like, dispensationalists always have a whiteboard and a timeline. And, like, the thing just gets cluttered with notes and stuff. Like, I love, I love our dispensationalist friends. But you got to admit, just go on YouTube, type dispensationalist timeline. And there's always a guy at a whiteboard with 5 million things and arrows. And, it, you know, like, it makes John Madden have a seizure. But um. 85 years old for Joseph Smith, that would be 1889, 1890, 1891 period. And then that other prophecy that you're talking about, the 56 years should wind up the scene. That was in 1835. You add 56 to that, you get 1891. It's like the same time period. Like they converge, right? I don't know. It seems like uh, he had it figured out. So then when 1890 and 1891 passed and Jesus didn't return. Oh man. So to, to kind of extend on my story about the seventh day Adventist pastor guy from my mission. So he was um, in that meeting, he was simultaneously like giving us like the, the tumor and I would love anti-Mormon spiel and also like pushing Ellen uh, G white prophecy. <laughs> so he was like, he was going through all this stuff and doing the passages, doing the whole dispensational thing. And I'm, and I'm sitting there trying to make heads or tails of it, right? Not 20 year old kid. And I'm like, okay, wait, he's, and he's ended up with like 1844. And I'm like, oh my goodness, the Nauvoo temple. I'm like making all these connections in my head. You know, That's awesome. I, I left out of that, out of that meeting, like with my head, just like spinning on, on prophecy and like, how did, okay. Mormonism has got to be right. So this has to fit somehow, you know? <laughs> This has to bolster my testimony somehow. <laughs> yeah, was, wasn't that the great disappointment? It was 1844? Yeah, yeah, that's what he was talking about. Well, you know what's funny is another big date in terms of the end of the world, it was 1914, because there were several religions that predicted that Jesus would return in 1914. Right. Uh, one of which I think was Jehovah's Witnesses. Yeah, I think that was correct. a big day. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there were other groups too, but I've forgotten who they were. 
Um, I think that was also, there's a, there's a cult in uh, like a legitimate cult in uh, Korea uh, where they believe that God, the father would re- return to earth in 1914. And I think that was the year that one of their leaders was born. And so they believe that because Jesus had to come to earth and take a body, this Korean man came and he took on a body and he was heavenly father and his wife was heavenly mother. Now the, the man he's since passed away, but the woman is still alive. So you can literally take a plane and go talk to God, the mother. I think they should be marketing this towards Latter-day Saints. They can make a ton of money on come see God, the mother <laughs> Yeah, yeah. live and in person. <laughs> Yeah, anyways, funny. set up shop you in can, Missouri. <laughs> yeah, you you can really get your head spinning. Like I was, he you know he was talking about 1844 and the Great Disappointment, and there's the seven years, right, and all that plays into it. And I was trying to make sense of. It. I was like, man, <laughs> 1844. Okay, so Ellen G. White was just a little bit off. 1844. Take away those seven years. Does that does that line up with like the appearance of? Uh, um, Elijah or something? Elijah in the Kirtland Temple. Yeah, I was like trying to make that line up. Like, oh my goodness, <laughs> they were close. <laughs> you know, you know, we're gonna start having to call you now. We're not gonna have to start calling you Paul Gregerson. <laughs> I gave that up a long time ago when I realized things didn't line up. <laughs> <laughs> you look, you watch Paul Gregerson's videos, and that's pretty much how they all start out. He's like, check out this verses nine through eleven. <laughs> they all point back to the same stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 interesting to talk to that kind of stuff. But what I've always come back to is the amillennial position because we see themes throughout scripture going. We see, we see more patterns of what's happening rather than trying to pin down everything to a specific instance. It's like we see the themes of God's people being persecuted. You know, there's the the countries of the world combat the people of God, that kind of thing. So it, I think it's fascinating. But yeah, it's. I'm kind of getting into the weeds now a little bit, but, but uh, it's, it's kind of inevitable when you're talking about this, right? Because it is the eschatology of Latter-day Saints. It's, it's like, it's like hard coded into their religion, this gathering of Israel. Um, So yeah, let's get into um, actually being a member of Israel. So how do you believe that this view of the gathering of Israel related to the LDS belief that their members are literal descendants of Israel either by blood or by adoption. So is there some kind of connection there or do you think they're just kind of tangentially related? Um, does anybody want to go first on that? Okay. So my patriarchal blessing, let me just throw that in there. When they started that off and they said, uh, we name you of the tribe of Ephraim. The first thing they said after that is either by blood or by adoption. I'm just like, wait, like, you don't know, <laughs> like, which one is it? it? It kind of bothered me my whole life. I'm like, how can you say in a prophetic blessing, either by blood or by adoption? Like, is it, is it both? Can you be blood and adopted into a tribe? But then why would I be adopted if I was blood? It just didn't make sense. But I just, at the time, I thought it was just super spiritual. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm double Ephraim because I'm blood and I'm adopted into it but but the point i'm trying to make here is i don't think that all latter-day saints believe that they were uh literally descendants of abraham i think that a lot of them believe that they are uh because with the scattering of israel uh i actually had a, a companion on my mission who told me he didn't understand the the scattering of israel and so what i 
did to kind of explain it to him as a Latter-day Saint is I got a glass of water and I poured a glop of syrup in there. And I said, that's Israel. And then I took a spoon and I stirred it all up so that you couldn't see the syrup anymore. And I'm like, now it's it's scattered. It is gone and and it's mixed with everything else. So now all of this is Israel. And he's like, oh, I understand now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I think a lot of Latter-day Saints would say that they are literal descendants of Israel. and and But not all of them are. And, and that's not really necessarily the make it or break it point. The real point is that we are, they believe that they are spiritually Israel, that they are in that covenant. And I think what really muddies the waters is that they don't really differentiate the old covenant with the new covenant so much that they believe there were always, you know, moments of apostasy or a dispensation where the full truth was on the earth. And so I think that they believe that there's kind of a continuation of that covenant as opposed to a whole new covenant that we are under now. So I don't know if that makes sense. Do you have thoughts on that? No. No, I'm sorry. Does that even answer your question? Yeah, I was, I was kind of getting at like, because to me, when I see, and maybe, and I think it ties into what you answered, Michael, but when I see this gathering of Israel, I think of it as kind of like Smith synthesizing different ideas and different views of the Bible and trying to make it all fit together. Like, so both the spiritual and the physical, because I think he wants to say, well, Israel, it's Zion. It's the pure in heart. It's all believers. But at the same time, there should be a physical gathering. Um, one, one thing that... I pointed to his Latter-day Saint, and I know others did too, to show that we're literal descendants of Abraham, was Galatians chapter 3. So I'll just read part of that real quick. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. So I kind of use that as showing if you're baptized in the church, then you are a descendant of Abraham. So the promises that God gave Abraham belong to me as a Latter-day Saint. And I think Joseph Smith took that and he said, oh, okay, well, that must mean that we somehow become physical descendants of Abraham. Does that make sense? So did you actually believe that your DNA changed at the moment that you were baptized uh you know what i I was actually googling that just now the um the teachings of the prophet joseph smith because he does say in there he does talk about literally becoming adopted um let me try to find that really quick yeah because i think i've heard that um a long time ago but it's it's one of those things i just kind of dismissed as speculation and and not really being the uh the official lds church position but i'm sure he did say that you're entering. Um, yeah. Sorry, I wish I had this earlier. I know I found it before. I've got, I think I have my physical copy right here somewhere. Let me just go find it real quick. Oh, man. I was just trying to put my hands on my patriarchal blessing, and I can't. Because what you said, Michael, made me curious. I wanted to see what it's, I, I know it says I'm of the tribe of Ephraim, but I wanted to see if it said anything about, uh, by blood or by adoption. This is from Matthew. <laughs> You're ridiculous. <laughs> no, I couldn't find it. I thought, I thought it was just right here on my table, but, uh, Paul, do you remember... <laughs> We were, we were talking about being literally uh, literally adopted as children of Abraham. And there is a section where Joseph Smith said in the teachings of Prophet Joseph Smith, where he actually did say that the Holy Spirit comes upon you and he literally changes your blood to become a descendant of Israel. I'm trying to find where that is. See if I can find it. Uh, check in Israel in the index. 
So it reminds me of that Catholic belief that uh, communion literally changes. What's that called? That doctrine? Transubstantiation? Yeah. A little bit, yeah. There was a website, I think it was archive.org, where it was like, you could just look up books online, but I'm not sure why I'm not finding it now. Hey, play that music again. Play that funky music. Somebody should have played this for the uh, the prophecies of Joseph Smith coming true. <laughs> this is the ten hour version. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I'm not Matthew. I'm not finding it. I uh, I do know what you're talking about though. I remember my dad one time trying to explain this to me in our kitchen when I was younger, um, the whole the whole thing about adoption and by blood and the Holy Spirit changing changing your blood so you would be a literal descendant of Israel. Um, but yeah, I'm not finding that that passage in the teaching of the prophet Joseph Smith. I did find an Ask Grams article where he talked about that, though. Yeah, what does he say? Uh, let's see. Man, I, I, I thought about this and I forgot to look it up and I was like, oh, I'll look it up later. Uh, but yeah, no, it's something I looked up because a lot of these saints didn't believe me. He's like, Joseph Smith never said that. And I looked it up and I was like, no, I remember reading it. Uh, it's gonna drive me nuts. It's gonna drive me nuts if I don't find it. Give me like two minutes. Time me. Use his bathroom break if you got to. Smoke if you got him. I might have. Well, I mean, I think I found something, actually. Okay. It doesn't, it doesn't give, like, the source, though. That's what's killing me. But it does say Joseph Smith said this. Um, he says, thus after this chosen family had rejected Christ and his proposals, the heralds of salvation said to them, lo, we turn unto the Gentiles. And the Gentiles received the covenant and were grafted in from whence the chosen family were broken off. But the Gentiles have not continued in the goodness of God, but have departed from the faith that was once delivered to the saints and have broken the covenant in which their fathers were established and have become high-minded and have not feared. Therefore... But of them, but few of them were gathered with the chosen family. Have not the pride, high-mindedness, and unbelief of the Gentiles provoked the Holy One of... This is not what I was reading a second ago. Hold on. This is what I meant to read. Cut that, Paul. Outer brightness. Outer brightness. Outer brightness. Ah, this darn phonograph. You're entering outer brightness. Okay. This is what it says. There are two comforters spoken of. One is the Holy Ghost, the same as given on the day of Pentecost, that all saints receive their faith. Oh my gosh, I found it right before you did. Uh, Repentance and baptism. The first comforter or the Holy Ghost has no other effect than pure intelligence. It is more powerful in expanding the mind, enlightening the understanding, and storing the intellect with present knowledge of a man who is the literal seed of Abraham than one that is a Gentile, though it may not have half as much visible effect upon the body, for as the Holy Ghost falls upon one of the literal seed of Abraham, it is calm and serene, and his whole soul and body are only exercised by the pure spirit of intelligence, while the effect of the Holy Ghost upon a Gentile is to purge out the old blood and make him actually of the seed of Abraham. That man that has none of the blood of Abraham naturally must have a new creation by the Holy Ghost. In such a case, there may be more of a powerful effect upon the body and visible to the eye than upon an Israelite. Well, the Israelite at first might be far before the Gentile in pure intelligence. So he did teach it. Yeah, that was, that was the quote I was looking for. As soon as you started reading, I'm like, yep, that's it. <laughs> I yeah, just didn't have the source. When I don't troll you guys and play Jeopardy music and actually like try to find source. <laughs> Yeah, and that's a that's an. I remember, like I said, I remember my dad trying to explain this to me, and just being totally confused. And if you think about it, it's a really interesting 
thing that Joseph Smith said, because, <clears throat> you know, what, what's the kind of the line from the, the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints today about the, the, the fruit of the spirit, right? Um, what missionaries teach, you're going to feel it's going to be peaceful. It's going to be serene. You know, it's going to be uh, all of the things that the Galatians passage says, you know, is it Galatians or Ephesians? Uh, anyway, Galatians, Galatians <clears throat> yeah. five. Yeah. Galatians five. So um, that, that really contradicts, uh, you know, what Joseph Smith said should be happening to us as Gentiles as the Holy spirit falls upon us. Right. Um, but maybe that's a, maybe that's a separate uh, experience. Maybe after you have hands laid on your head for the gift of the Holy ghost, then that's when you should have this uh, really uh, what does, how does he explain it? Uh, purging of the old blood purging of the old blood <laughs> yeah that, that's got to be some experience yeah you know what's interesting though is i guess uh, i just use the i word uh i guess god keeps all that old blood for when you apostatize from the church and puts it back in because i guess we're not israelites anymore yeah it also makes you wonder uh like what what was joseph smith describing there you know, was he describing the experience of, of kind of the charismatics of his day? You know what I mean? Oh, they're, they're Gentiles. They don't have any of the pure blood of Abraham. So they have this falling down experience when the Holy Spirit falls upon them, you know? Uh, interesting. Uh, yeah. And it makes you wonder, you know, the experience of um, King Lamoni, where he falls and looks like he's dead uh, to the point where his his wife is worrying about his body stinking, um, you know, but he was right. According to the narrative of the book of Mormon, pure Israel, pure, pure blood of Abraham. Yeah. So yeah. why would, why would he have a, have an experience like that? It's interesting. I don't know. Well, the, the other thing that's crazy is, I mean, he said right there that you, you can see the change with your eyes and you go to any ward and you're not going to see a bunch of Hebrew people in the pews. I mean, you've got mostly Caucasians. So uh, either Joseph Smith was way off or these people aren't really getting the Holy, the second, that comforter, you know, it's not really doing anything in their lives. So either it's not working or Joseph Smith was way off, but either way, it doesn't really fare very well. Well, I think your comparison, Michael, earlier to transubstantiation is actually a good one because uh, Roman Catholics do believe that the actual substance of the wine and bread is completely trans transubstantiated the, the substance has changed from the wine and the bread to become the body, the blood and body of Jesus. And what is left over that still looks like wine and tastes like wine and same with bread. Those are what they call the accidents. So that's just the appearance as the appearance, basically of bread and wine, but it's not bread and wine anymore. It's body and blood. And so I could see Latter-day Saints kind of making that same distinction. You know, if I were a Latter-day Saint, that's probably what I would do. <laughs> I would say, well, we don't see any outward change in the person. We don't see, we don't see their blood boiling in their veins or, you know, like some kind of crazy thing happening. It appears on the outside that there's no change happening, but in reality, we have to take it as faith that their blood did transform into that of a legitimate literal Israelite. So the substance changed, but the accidents didn't. Um, I don't know. But then at that point, it's like, well, how do you really verify other than just through faith that that's what's actually happening? Yeah. I, I am kind of sensing an article coming on for Michael comparing transubstantiation and this passage from, from Joseph Smith. What do you think, Michael? Yeah, I think it'll be out here in the next uh, two or three months. So be watching for that on from water to wine.org. <laughs> um, but yeah. So like, 
this just raises some questions in my mind. You know, why why do you think there is such a focus uh, in Latter Day Saint theology on the kind of the literal changing of blood, right? Because isn't there also the teaching that that when Adam and Eve ate the fruit, that 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 the blood flowed in their veins for the first time, right? And uh, and then there's this this teaching of Joseph Smith that you know when you have that second second comforter come upon you. Uh, if you're a Gentile, it literally changes your blood to the blood of Abraham. Why do you think there's such a literal, like a, such a focus on this, these ideas of uh, change of, and, and stuff being, being literal with Latter-day Saint theology? Well, I had a thought that just came to mind. Um, you know, we see all the sacrifices tied to blood. They know there's, and in scripture, it even says there's no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. And so there's this, this connection between blood and sin with, the shedding of the blood representing the, the the punishment for our sins on that altar in the old Testament. And then the shedding of Christ's blood on the cross for our sins. And Latter-day Saint theology also believes that when we're glorified persons that we will no longer have blood, but we'll just be glorified persons of body and flesh or, or body and flesh and bone. So that we won't have blood anymore. So, and one thing that just came to my mind is maybe what he's saying is, you know, the idea is to become like God or to become like Christ basically completely right to become just like Jesus in every way possible. Well, what was Jesus? He was an Israelite. So maybe in Joseph Smith's thinking, he said that not only do we have to become like him and have our sins sanctified and cleansed from us, but we need to literally have the same physical blood that Jesus had. We need to become an Israelite just like Jesus was. I don't know. That's just speculation on my part, but maybe that's something that came across his mind. Yeah. And uh, I, I just think, you know, they, they kind of view Israel as, as being, God's chosen people. And so they want to throw themselves in there and, and say, we are that. We are literally Israel. And so we are just a continuation of God's chosen people to kind of prop up the church and make them look more valid. That's my short answer on that. Well, going back to, to what you had said about Hebrew Israelites, I think that's what they usually prefer to be called. Although commonly they're called black Hebrew Israelites because they believe that only Black people are the literal descendants of Israel. And when you were talking about how they tie, how um, oh, was it when you were talking about them or someone else, were you trying to tie specific tribes of Israel to different groups of people? Oh, you were saying like the Mongolians, right? Yeah. Well, that's what black Hebrew Israelites also do. They try to say some of some groups, not all of them. Some groups try to say to include all people of color, not just Africans. So they'll say, well, if you're from sub-Saharan Africa, you're part of, um, you know, the tribe of joseph and if you're from uh they probably say judah because they think judah is the best tribe and if you're from the caribbean islands you're from uh, the tribe of uh jasher isn't that another one yeah. uh so there's you know from all the different tribes you know they're like all these different group people groups they try to tie that in because when they read the bible they see all the fulfillment as literal so if you're not in israel you're not going to be getting any of these spiritual blessings and so maybe that was also something joseph smith thought is like you know if you're not part of some tribe of Israel somehow, then you aren't going to be connected to the promises given to Abraham. You know, we were talking about um, patriarchal blessings and, and how those declare which tribe of Israel you belong to by adoption or by blood. Um, we're all uh, Ephraim, correct? Yep, we're all from, from Ephraim. Yeah. Has, and have any of you ever met a Latter-day Saint who is not of the tribe of Ephraim? Yeah, so my my ex-wife was from Manasseh, okay. um, which I think that's why the marriage failed, actually, because 
you know, we were from different tribes. But the funny, the, the weird thing too is she was like one of the only people in her family that was from Manassa, which like, is that, does that mean you're adopted? <laughs> like, uh, but yeah, I, I met a few from Manassa and I think I did a poll on my, on my group online, Evangelicals and Latter-day Saints, uh, just to kind of ask them. And there were a couple of, I mean, most of them were overwhelmingly Ephraim, but then I think I saw a couple of like a Zebulon and, you know, a couple sparse ones out there, but it's super rare for a Latter-day Saint to not be Ephraim. Yeah. I mean, I was just wondering, you know, like, is it, is it like rogue patriarchs who don't understand the passage about the 10 tribes coming back from underneath the, the ice? in the North Pole. <laughs> like you, you can't be another, you can't be one of the 10. You have to be Ephraim or Manasseh only. Um, nah, anyway, just a thought on that. But, well, um, <clears throat> I, was, I was just going to add in there too. Another thing that's interesting is that the 10 tribes that were taken away, uh, Manasseh and Ephraim were part of those 10 tribes, right? That were lost. Yes, they were. Yeah. The only ones, the only ones that remained were Judah and Judah, Benjamin. Judah and Benjamin. You're right. Yep. Hmm. So, wow. Hmm. So it makes you think, does that mean there's only going to be eight tribes that come back? <laughs> yeah. Where's, where's Benjamin? What happened to the tribe of Benjamin? There's, there's a lot of inconsistency in this. <laughs> hmm. I'm going to have to think on this some. No, but I, Maybe the church isn't true. <laughs> I, Don't I, say I also, that, Michael. Don't go there. You're hurting also, my testimony. I also wonder, though, what millennial, more, well, you know. Gen Z Mormons will think if they listen to this episode, because I kind of sense that a lot of this is kind of gone by the wayside. Don't you? Brianna? Well, I mean, you're Gen Z, so. (laughs) Right at the edge of that. Some argue that I'm a millennial. Some argue I'm Gen Z. I'm right at the, right in between. You're like your husband. He's a exactly, he's a millennial yeah. who wants to be a Gen Xer. No, 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 no. I don't. I did until I met you, Paul. <laughs> oh, man, wait a minute. That means we span we we span four generations. We got Gen X, we got millennial, uh, millennial. Oh no, wait, no, I was wrong. I thought it was four, but no, I, I can't count. We span three generations. Yeah, I'm actually a Xenial, guys. Xenial or Xennial? Xenial. Was where Brandon? Were you were you saying something and we cut you off? I can't remember. Sorry. Oh yeah, sorry. I was asking you uh, if because Paul said it's gone by the wayside with the new generation. So all this stuff about like literal blood. It, yeah, I didn't really hear about that specifically growing up. So I might have been like I probably grew up at the time when we kind of stopped talking about it, or it might just have to do with where I was where where I grew up too. Because I actually grew up in Minnesota for most of my childhood. And then we moved to California. And California was a lot less serious about doctrine than in the Midwest. I was going to say, I actually read an article on the LDS website that's recent. It's 2019. Uh, maybe now's a time, good time to just quickly go through it. Uh, can I share my screen? Is that okay? Yeah. Oh, it says it's disabled. Could you enable that, Paul, please? Uh, sure will. Go for it. Okay, thank you. Uh, I thought it was a good thing to share because a lot of times, um, you know, a lot of times you can get into the really deep theological works and it gets kind of muddy and it's quote unquote not official. But a lot of what's official is what you teach your kids, you know, like you're not going to teach heresy to your kids. You want to boil it down, simple points, simple doctrines so that your kids can understand it. 
So a lot of times the most honest teachings are found there. And that's what this kind of appears like. I'm not sure what it's from. It's from one, one of the church magazines. Um, can you see this screen right here? Yep, we can see it now. The 12 facts about the gathering of Israel. Um, so this is from 2019. Um, let's see, July of 2019. And so it looks like it's made for kids. The way with the graphics are kind of set up and they're really simple bullet points. So it gives 12 points. Um, point one being God made a covenant with Abraham promising him that he would have a numerous posterity. His seed would have the gospel and the priesthood. That's from the book of Abraham. And all the earth would be blessed through his seed. The covenant was passed down through Abraham's son and Isaac and Isaac's son, Jacob, who was also called Israel. It's point number two. And then point number three, ultimately the Abrahamic covenant also includes temple ordinances, which allow us to inherit eternal life with heavenly father and be sealed to our families forever. So I think we'd all agree that that's pretty core to LDS teachings and kind of what they've taught since forever. And then it gets to the core ideas about the scattering. So it says ancient prophets, including Moses, foretold the scattering of Israel because they were unrighteous, rebelled and killed the prophets. The Lord punished Israel and scattered them, placing Abraham's seed throughout the earth. Israel split into the northern and southern kingdoms. And in 721 BC, the 10 northern tribes of Israel were carried captive to Assyria and then were scattered and lost. The remaining Israelites, mostly from the tribes of Judah and Benjamin, swung back and forth between righteousness and wickedness. In 605 BC and again in 597 BC, Israelites were carried captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. In 537 BC, Cyrus of Persia, who had conquered Babylon, allowed them to return. In AD 70 and again in 8135, the Romans destroyed Jerusalem, scattering the Jews among all the nations. So there is kind of like a, a lot of historical facts here that I think line up pretty well. I didn't fact check all the specific dates, but I think they're pretty accurate. So it's interesting when you point that out because they're talking about bringing the 10 tribes back, but from this timeline, it seems like all the tribes of Israel are scattered, you know? So why only the 10 tribes are we focusing on? It seems like you would want to focus on all 12 tribes of Israel to bring them back. So it continues on point six. Um, did you have something you want to add, Paul? Yeah. Yeah. I think the reason for that is that, you know, the 10 tribes of the Northern kingdom were carried away uh, by Assyria. Right. And um, <clears throat> then later you have the Babylonian captivity uh, of Judah and Benjamin um, but you don't, you, so you have a return from Babylon, uh, but you don't have a return from Assyria. So that's why they're kind of, the 10 tribes are kind of viewed as lost. But then Judah and Benjamin kind of got scattered again after the destruction of the temple and all that, right? Yes. Yeah. So it's kind of like everybody's scattered now, really, if you think about it. Yeah. Good point. So, yeah. So then they go on to point number six uh, with the gathering. They say both an ancient and modern prophets from Enoch to Joseph Smith have foretold that the Lord's covenant people would be gathered again in a future day, first spiritually and then temporally. So I thought when we were talking about spiritual versus literal, I thought it was interesting because I thought it was previously, it was like, you know, a literal gathering of everybody physically to Zion, you know, but maybe he's saying, maybe it's saying here first spiritually in terms of like bringing people in through the gospel and then temporally meaning the literal descendants who are outside the gospel. Uh, so it's not quite clear there. But it says first spiritually and then temporally. And it has a picture of, I think, Joseph Smith, Moses, I think. And a really creepy image of uh, President Nelson. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'd hate to have this artist try to make a rendition of me. I'd probably look super creepy. Uh, so the gathering is a prelude to the second coming of Jesus Christ is point number seven. I think that's, I mean, that's pretty evident. The gathering is part of the restoration and has priesthood keys associated with it, which were restored when Moses delivered them to Joseph Smith. And that's another thing I wanted to bring up too, is because um, I think in that section, it talks about how basically 
he was Moses was giving these keys because the ending is like right at the doorsteps. Yeah, this is in uh, Doctrine Covenants one ten, verse eleven. After this vision closed, the heavens were again opened unto us, and Moses appeared before us and committed unto us the keys of the gathering of Israel from the poor, four parts of the earth and leading of the ten tribes from the land of the north. And then uh, Elias, which they thought was a different person from Elijah, but Elias and Elijah in the Bible are the same person. Uh, I wrote a small article or a small little blip on my Facebook about that. But basically, Elias is from Greek, Elijah from Hebrew, and Joseph Smith didn't know that. So he thought they were two different people. Uh, so after Elijah, he says he came to give the keys to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the children of the fathers, lest the whole earth be smitten with a curse. And this goes along with what we said earlier about how Joseph Smith thought that the ending was just right at the doorsteps. It says, therefore, the keys of this dispensation are committed into your hands. And by this, you may know that the great and dreadful day of the Lord is near even at the doors. So that's another confirmation that he thought that the return of Christ was just coming very, very soon. Um, step, uh, so going back to that article, number nine, through the Lord's people, though the Lord's people may sometimes be asked to gather to a particular place, people today generally are gathered when they accept the gospel, receive ordinances, and make covenants. So that's, it's more reinterpreting it to say you're gathered when you receive the ordinances, when you join the church. Whereas you look at the early LDS church, 1830s, 1840s, People were moving from the UK in particular. They were moving from France, from Germany, uh, from Canada. They were moving from all over the country to come to Zion in the US. And now they're saying, as we've said, stay where you are. All people can be gathered to Israel either by direct descent or by adoption, which happens when they are baptized and receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So I wanted to bring that up because I think that confirms Joseph Smith's quote, right? Where he said that your blood is changed literally to become a literal descendant of Abraham in baptism. So maybe they're not specifically talking about the blood transformation, but I don't know. I thought that was a pretty clear connection there, that when you're baptized, you become a literal descendant of Israel. Those who have been baptized can later receive a patriarchal blessing, which declares their lineage in a tribe of Israel. That's point 11. And then point 12 says, the Book of Mormon is written to the remnant of the house of Israel and to the Jew and Gentile, and is a sign that God is fulfilling his covenant to gather Israel in the last days, as well as a major instrument of that gathering. So I thought... Uh, sorry to take the time to go over this, but I thought it was good because like I said, sometimes with little kid books or, you know, articles made for young kids, it, they boil down a lot of the extraneous details and get to write the core issues. And that seems kind of like what we've, what I've been taught as Latter-day Saint my whole life. Does that ring true for you guys also? Yeah. Yeah. I think um, <clears throat> just a couple of points there within there that I think are, are indicative of the, of kind of the shift on, on these doctrines are, are what you noted, Matthew, where it, talks about at first being uh, spiritual gathering and then temporally. Uh, and then the other one uh, being um, the idea of uh, you either being a literal descendant of Abraham or by adoption uh, through baptism and reception of the gift of the Holy ghost. Um, Cause like you, like you were saying, like if, if it's by adoption, then there's no literal change of blood. Like Joseph Smith was talking about when the Holy ghost comes upon you. So mm. Yeah, I can see that. Grant or Michael, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's pretty consistent with what I was taught growing up as well. Uh, so I'd say that's a pretty good, uh, pretty good way to explain the LDS teachings. Yeah. Ditto. <laughs> so let me, let me uh, rephrase number eight. So did believing that you were either literally or by adoption, you were a descendant of Abraham, you're one of the tribe of Israel's one of the tribe of Israel, did that make you feel special in some way? You know, like, did it have some kind of significance for your spiritual life being thinking, well, I'm a literal descendant of Abraham. All these prom promises are made specifically to me. Did you have any feelings like that? 
Yeah. Uh, I felt super elitist because I'm, I was a member of the, uh, the house of Israel and the rest of Israel, they're all lost, but, but I'm here and I'm in the Lord's church and I'm found not only am I found, but I'm part of, of the group finding the rest of the lost tribes. So I felt really special uh, because I was a member and I felt really proud to be a member of the tribe of Ephraim too. Uh, you know, you look at, you guys probably did this too, because you're all from Ephraim. So I'd go and look at the blessings that, that Jacob gave, like, oh, Ephraim is is greater than Manasseh. And, and I'd read the, the blessing about Joseph and his seed, you know, he's a fruitful bow uh, and his vines go over the wall. I'm like, oh, that means that his seed will go over the ocean, that they're going to be here on the American continent. And, uh, and it's funny because I just, I idolized the tribe of Ephraim. And it's like, I go back to the Old Testament now and I read the tribe of, about the tribe of Ephraim. And I'm like, what? These guys were a nightmare for Israel to deal with. <laughs> like, why would I be proud to be from this tribe? Like, forget that, you know? And, and it's like, somehow I had the blinders on that Judah was really the tribe that was, that was special, that that Christ was coming from, from that line. I, I just always focused on, Oh, Ephraim has the birthright. And that means that I I'm part of the seed that has the birthright. I'm going to have the best blessing. So, yeah, I think, I think it's almost an understatement to say that I felt like I was special because of this lineage. What do you think? Bri? Yeah. I mean, for a time I thought I was really special too. I'd look over my patriarchal blessing and like read it over and over. And my parents, they were both converts to the church when they were adults. So I like, I felt like I was kind of one of the pioneers of my family so that we could lead other members of my family, extended family into the church and yeah, other people. You saw the fulfillment of the calling to be a missionary in the tribe of Ephraim, like in your family? Is that kind of how you're... Yeah, I did. Like my parents would talk about like how they had, like my dad would say he had this feeling that someday he was going to convert his parents and his family, like his brothers and sister to the church. And he would be like this leader. I kind of idolized him that way too. I thought he would be like some prominent like leader in the church someday because he was super spiritual and you guys have a lot more thoughts on being a member of the tribe of Israel than I have. Apparently <laughs> I didn't, I didn't really think about it all that much. How about you, Paul? Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I, I did um, because of my patriarchal blessing and, and because of the teachings that, you know, Ephraim is holds the keys of the gathering. Right. Um, but in terms of making me feel special, I, I don't think it did because it, there was a sense in which uh a lot of a lot of the stuff we're talking about tonight for me, um, when I was growing up in the church and a missionary, uh, I just kind of looked at this stuff and, and thought, you know, what what does this mean? <laughs> you know, I couldn't make heads or tails of a lot of it um, because some of because of some of the kind of the inconsistencies that we pointed out tonight. But um, yeah, I don't I don't know that it really made me feel special per se. Um, I just I wanted to understand it, and I and I and I didn't. But yeah, no. No feelings of of, of special, uh, and and really, I didn't um, I didn't think that I was a literal descendant of Israel, right? And maybe maybe I never went through the the great spiritual change that Joseph Smith said I should have. 
Um, but I, I kind of, I was like, I'm, I'm a Gentile, right? My family's German. So, uh, and, and, and Danish. So yeah, I didn't, I didn't have any kind of great feelings of, of, uh, spiritual, uh, elitism. Uh, but that's just cause I'm a better person than Michael is. Well, my descendants <laughs> were actually Israelites. Wow. I mean, because they use the word you in, in the book of Mormon. So the French were obviously one of the lost tribes. So I, uh, I reject that you were a better person than me. Elite. He, he admits to being an elitist and then says, yeah, I'm French. Yep. Makes sense. Well, <laughs> if, if you think about it, one of the tribes of Israel is Gad, right? And the, what France was called before it was called France, it was called Gaul. Gaul, yeah. So it could be like the the Gad the Gadites. They moved to Gaul, and then the language changed, you know, and slowly changed to Gaul, and then now it's France. So yeah, that could be the Gadites. Yeah. Man. Plus Lem Lemuel, right? Isn't that a French name? Lemuel. Sounds more Spanish to me. Yeah. Oh yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe so, but they're pretty close. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so my thoughts on it are it was. I never really thought a whole lot on this whole being a descendant of Israel kind of thing. I, I, what my focus on was like being a priesthood holder, you know, and like the responsibility that comes with that. But also before my mission, I kind of came back into the activity in the church and I received my patriarchal blessing then when I was 19 or 20. So, um, and then I felt kind of a sense of responsibility. I felt like, well, if God gives me a testimony of the book of Mormon, that means I need to serve a mission. And then that was just reconfirmed to me even more uh, when I was, receiving my patriarchal blessing. And I was told that I was part of the tribe of Ephraim. So I felt like, okay, there's even a more confirmation that God wants me to go on a mission because he's saying that you're part of Ephraim and part of their responsibility is to primarily be part of the gathering of Israel. So I didn't think of it as much as like, what does it mean or, or how am I special because I'm an Israelite? Um, it was more just feeling more of the sense of urgency or responsibility on my shoulders that I had to fulfill that I didn't have before. All right, Fireflies, that's a wrap for this topic. Feel free to share your thoughts in the Outer Brightness group on Facebook. Is there an aspect of this topic we missed, something you'd like to see us discuss in the future? Let us know. Next week, we'll be discussing the topic of morality and the 13th article of faith. Until then, shine bright, Fireflies. All right. Sorry about that. Also, I'm engaged. What the heck is that junk? I just saw that just now. Who put that in there? I have no idea how that got there. <laughs> So, I mean, it does, it does raise some questions, Matthew, if you, if you get the job and move to Idaho Falls, is she going to go with you? Uh, my mom? No, no not your mom. <laughs> that would be nice. <laughs> we thank you for tuning into this episode of the Outer Brightness Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Please visit the Outer Brightness Podcast page on Facebook. Feel free to send us a message there with comments or questions by clicking send a message at the top of the page, and we would appreciate it if you give the page a like. We also have an Outer Brightness group on Facebook where you can join and interact with us and others as we discuss the podcast, past episodes, and suggestions for future episodes, etc. You can also send us an email at outerbrightness at gmail.com. We hope to hear from you soon. You can subscribe to the Outer Brightness Podcast on Apple Podcasts, CastBox, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Podbeam, Spotify, and Stitcher. Also, you can check out our new YouTube channel, and if you like it, be sure to do lay hands on that subscribe button and confirm it. If you like what you hear, please give us a rating and review wherever you listen and help spread the word.
You can also connect with Michael the Ex-Mormon Apologist at FromWaterToWine.org, where he blogs, and sometimes Paul and Matthew do as well. Music for the Outer Brightness podcast is graciously provided by the talented Brianna Flournoy and by Adams Road. Learn more about Adams Road by visiting their ministry page at adamsroadministry.com. Stay bright, flyerflies. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God, the Word made flesh, the risen Son. Heaven and earth will pass away, but the Word of the Lord endures for. Rock and the gates of hell.